If you will, grab a Bible and turn to Colossians 3, um, beginning in verse 18, where we'll be this morning. John Tilly read that for us. appreciate that. Uh, this is kind of a mini-series, if you will, walking through Colossians the last couple of months and looking forward to continuing uh, to that next passage. If you haven't been with us and uh, would like to know, Colossians is a book written by Paul to a church that he never he didn't start and he really didn't visit as far as we know and he writes to encourage these believers to remain rooted in their faith established he wanted them to press on in their faith in Jesus Christ the first two chapters is heavy heavy on the gospel and the person of Christ and then in chapter 3 he transitions to application so he begins with many uh, indicatives, de declarations, deep doctrinal truth, and then he shifts to applying the text to our lives. And it's in these verses that we find really in verses 1 through 17, this transition where he speaks about a life raised with Christ, one that's truly come to saving faith. There's a couple of things that really follow them. There's that, that they first seek and aim for things that are above. They're striving for Christ. And that looks and fleshes itself out in the way of putting off the old man and putting on the new man. That's what we've seen in the first 17 verses of chapter 3. Then beginning in verse 18 and really all the way through 4.1, he begins to discuss the household. This has often been called the household code. He both covers home and work. This morning we're just going to look at verses 18 through 21. And I've entitled this sermon, The Christian Home. The Christian Home. In our hymnals, there's a hymn called, God Give Us Christian Homes. First verse reads, God Give Us Christian Homes. Homes where the Bible is loved and taught. Homes where the master's will is sought. Homes crowned with beauty your love has wrought. God, give us Christian homes. God, give us Christian homes. I think that's a prayer that we could all desire, not only for ourselves, but for the body, the, the, the families that are made up of this church body. A Christian home. It's a wonderful prayer. And what Paul is really driving at here, he wants us to see something. If you were to walk through your front door, and we were to look at the marriage and parenting and children, we should see the redemptive work of Christ. That's what he's aiming at here. Showing that every element of the home that is redeemed by Christ should be evident. So I have four points. Very simple, straight from the text. A Christian wife, a Christian husband, a Christian child, and a Christian father. Beginning in verse 18, Paul walks through the front door and he addresses the wife, a Christian wife. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Not a very popular topic in our culture today. Actually, sadly enough, it's not a popular topic amongst some evangelicals. 
submission. Submission can be a dirty word depending upon the context that it's mentioned. But the Bible is very clear that wives should submit to their husbands. Submission is actually a theme throughout Scripture. We see Paul writes about submitting to the government in Romans chapter 13. Peter picks up on it in 1 Peter. The Bible is clear about submission. But he says, wives, submit to your husband because... It is fitting in the Lord. God gets to declare what is fitting and right. This speaks to the duty and role that God has given a woman in her marriage. He has given and created marriage for this way to be expressed in this way. For someone to submit to another means to bring under firm control of another. Not a very popular thought to consider here, but want us to see this in a very clear way. God is designed for a wife to live under the leadership and guidance of her husband. It's an attitude of acknowledging and recognizing the right and the authority her husband possesses. It begins from the beginning. If we were to turn to Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, Genesis chapter 1, God creates all things, the heavens and the earth, the sun, the moon, the stars, the fish, the seas, the land, the cattle, man and woman. And it says after each description, every day of creation, it says, and God saw that it was good. Every day listed in chapter one. You flip to chapter two, though, in chapter two, verse 18 we read, the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So God creates Adam or Eve from Adam's rib and gives her to Adam in marriage. We read in verse 24 of chapter 2, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh we see the creation and design of marriage is in these passages it says that she should be a helper helper this is word should not be thought of as degrading description of a wife actually i'll remind you that the lord is often described as the helper of his people psalm 54 for behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. It's not a negative term here, but speaks of the support and encouragement a wife has in the life of her husband. The order is not a mistake either. Genesis 1 demonstrates and clearly teaches that man and woman were created equally. Genesis chapter 2 solidifies for us the fact that they had roles. The man is to lead, the wife, the woman is to support and encourage her husband. That's what we see. Actually, in Genesis 1, 28, we see the command, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Genesis chapter 2, the command and the task is given to the husband. 2, 15 and 17, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man 
saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. The task and the command was given to the husband to lead out. The woman, the wife, was given to support and encourage her husband as they went in this direction. We know from Genesis chapter 3, this has been tarnished. This design has been flipped upside down. In a society today, roles have been shifted. We see very many men living lives of passivity. We see a lot of women leading their homes, making the decisions, but this was not God's original design. He has always had it for the wives to submit, to encourage, and to follow the leadership of their husbands. That is the design. God redeems the marriage in Christ, though. Would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5? If there was an internal commentary for our passage, it would be Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 6, 4. And actually, you might place your bulletin there because we'll refer back to it through the rest of the sermon. But in verses 22 through 24, we see that Paul elaborates and fills in a little bit here of this submission that the wives should have. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through 24, Paul writes, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit and everything to their husbands. Just two things very quickly. The first, very shortly. A wife submits understanding that every part of our society and in the design that God has, there is always a head. In every institution, you will find a head, a leader. It's a natural design that God has given, and he illustrates that in saying that Christ is the head of the church and that wives should submit in a similar way. So secondly, their example is the submission the church has towards Christ. So we ask, how does the church submit to Christ as the head? This is a recognition that he is the authority. He is the leader of the church. The church submits. And as the church of Christ, we trust the leadership of Christ, don't we? We never question his leadership. We never question his authority. It's based on trust. It's based on the trust of the work that he's done, but we trust him as he leads us. And that is the basis of the submission a wife has for her husband. Now, this is where the analogy kind of breaks down because a husband is not like Christ fully. They're not sinless. Their leadership is not always perfect, but it's based on trust. A wife submits to her husband in a way that shows her support, it shows her love, and her encouragement as he leads the family in the way that honors the Lord. 
there is support and help. Husbands, in a moment, will highlight this responsibility to lead. Actually, in my notes this morning, just reading over them, if you can imagine, I have a lot of English errors. That's why I don't, I just read my notes to my wife. I don't let her read over it. It would disturb her. I had a little bit of polygamy here in my notes, and I had to define this. Instead of many wives submitting to your leadership, I need to make that singular, your wife submits to your leadership, men. It's a responsibility that you have to lead. Whether good or bad, you must lead. Here's, here's what I want to say for a moment. Young ladies, those of you that just dream of the day that you walk down an aisle, I hope you understand your responsibility. Your responsibility to submit to a man one day as he's to lead you. Submit to his, his, uh, his decision-making, whether physical or spiritual. You're called to fall underneath that of a Christian husband. But I want you to listen carefully in a moment as we look to the Christian husband and traits that you should look for and long for in that man. But do you understand your responsibility? Wives, God is called and designed for you to submit to your husbands. This is not always an easy command. It's not easily fleshed out, but it's his design. So the verb I do want to point out is presented in such a way where this is voluntary. You can live in disobedience by not obeying or submitting to your husband. But this also doesn't mean that you submit to a masculine dominance, but it's a heart of support and love towards your husband that you submit. Very important. While remembering that you've been created equally, it's important to remember that you've been given different roles. This is what's fitting for the Lord. A Christian wife submits to her husband. Number two, Paul continues walking through the home, and he directs his attention to the husband. So number two, a Christian husband. Said it's in Colossians 3, 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Especially as you become an adult, the simpler the instructions, the more you take critique of it. You think, oh, that's, don't give me simple instructions. Of course, I'm a grown man. I know what to do here. But Paul says something so basic. Love your wife. I mean, isn't that the foundation for this? I mean, don't we get this? This isn't hard or difficult. Of course, I'm to love my wife. But husbands... Do you love your wives? To love someone in the way that Paul is speaking about it is based on a sincere appreciation. It's to have a high regard for that one that you're loving. Husbands are to love their wives. Really, three things in considering this. We are to treasure our wives husbands treasure her if you go back to genesis chapter 2 beginning in verse 18 
it is not good, is what the Lord says. There's a problem here. Man does not have a companion, a helper. Genesis 19 is not God solving that problem. Instead, what he does is he instructs Adam to name the animals. It's a very fascinating just shift there. For a moment, you think he's getting sidetracked here. But no, what he's doing is highlighting for the man the need that he doesn't have a companion like the animals do. There's not another like him out there. It's only to highlight the gift that God would give in a moment his wife so that he would treasure her. This woman has been gifted to me by God to support me and encourage me. I should treasure her, value her, love her. So men, do you treasure your wife? Knowing that God has given you a woman to support you and help you. Do you value her knowing that she's been given not by just anyone, but God has designed this woman and given her to you for marriage? What a wonderful thing. A woman should be treasured and valued by her husband. Number two... We'll get this in Ephesians chapter 5. Hopefully you're still close by. Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 33. 25 through 33. Paul began with the woman and wives to submit as the church submits to Christ. Now he begins to speak about the husband. Look at the ink that he spilt compared to that of the wife. Husbands, we are on the chopping block this morning. Men, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that he might be holy and without blemish in the same way. Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. What a beautiful design. And look at the instructions and the illustration that Paul has done here. He has brought the gospel into the marriage. Out of all earthly relationships, there is no other that represents, displays the gospel of Jesus Christ like a man loving his wife and a wife respecting her husband. Just very practically, every single day, moms and dads, you are displaying the gospel to your children by your love and by your respect. 
And he says, you're to love sacrificially. So we see that we're to treasure our wives and love her in that way. But we're also to love her sacrificially as Christ loved the church. We're to, to meet her needs and her desires. What a wonderful gift. I mean, that's a, that's a duty that we have, men. That's our supreme duty to love our wives and meet their needs. No one's going to take that away from me. That should be the attitude of men. Husbands, you might think it, but don't say it. She's got a lot of needs. Well, didn't the church have a lot of needs? And Christ met every one of them through his sacrificial love. God has called men, husbands, to love their wives sacrificially. And then he really pulls no punches and he says, hey, let me make it even simpler for you. Love her like you love yourself. You say, well, I don't love myself. I'm a very selfless individual. Paul says, no, no, no. No one ever hated himself. You meet your needs. You're number one in your mind often. He says, you are to love her as you love yourself. He refers back to Genesis 2.24. Uh, the two shall be one flesh. God has designed for the man to care for, to love his wife. And he does this through leadership. He does this through meeting her needs. He does that from leading the family all along the way. But Paul also gives a negative command. Husbands, do not be harsh with your wives. This harshness speaks of being embittered or angry. Remember, we're in, we're in the home right now. Paul's opened the front door. He's made himself at home. And he's saying, husbands, love your wife and do not be harsh with them. For some reason... Well, I know the reason. It's our sinful nature. The most valued relationship other than our relationship with God, we become short and harsh with our wives. Unchecked, that's our natural response. And it's usually over the most silliest of things. I'm not going to tell on myself. Men, you know. <laughs> You know, I mean, as I was studying for this, I can't tell you how many times Melissa would ask me how things were going. I said, I am convicted. I'm sorry. And stopping and, and apologizing and confessing my own sin to the Lord because it's just, it's just so simple. Love your wife and do not be harsh with her. Peter kind of speaks about this in 1 Peter 3, 7. He says, likewise, husbands, Live with your wives in an understanding way. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. We're to be understanding. We're to be patient. Slow to anger, especially with our wives. 
It's shameful, it's sinful, and it ought not be done in the Christian home for a man to response and embitterment and anger towards his wife regularly. Ought not be done. Has no place in the Christian home. And 1 Peter 3, 7 is God's way of saying, hey, listen, look at what's at stake so that your prayers may not be hindered. That's God's way of saying, I'm watching you. I'm watching you, men. She's to be valued. She's my gift to you. Love her, treasure her, care for her, meet her needs. Do not be harsh with her. Clear design, clear instructions. We're to lead our families. We're to value our wives. We're to treasure our wives. We're not to be harsh with them. Our role is protector, provider, leader, literally a shepherd in our homes. Our wives need that, men. Our wives need affirmation. They need words of confirmation. They need our words of love. They need our time to have a conversation at the end of the day. We sacrifice for our wives. We should be leading her spiritually. We should be the one to call our children and wife together for family worship. We should be the one leading everyone to church. We should be the one leading in the parenting in a God-honoring way. We should be the one providing the food and the light, and we should be providing the needs, the physical needs of the home, and caring for it. A Christian husband loves and provides and cares and is not harsh with his wife. Ultimately, men, your marriage is to represent the gospel, and if it's dim, if that light is dim, you are responsible in leading for that glow to glow again. It's difficult, it's hard, but Paul says, act like men. Be strong. That's the call to Christian men. It's how we lead out in our homes, loving and caring for our wives. But Paul doesn't stop there. He continues in the home and he looks to the children. So we see a Christian child in Colossians 3, 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now here's the transition. Here's where I'm talking to you teenagers. Children, this is you. Do you obey your parents? Do you obey your parents? You don't have to confess to me right now, Spencer, but the goal is... For you to obey your parents. That's the call. This obedience, this word here, speaks of having paid attention and listened to the instruction that should be obeyed. Obey obedience. It's very, very clear. This is rooted in the, the fifth commandment of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that your Lord your God is giving them. You were to honor your father and mother. You were to obey your parents. And he says in two ways, really. In everything. You mean in chores? Yes, in your chores. 
brushing your teeth, going to bed at the right time. In curfew, it doesn't matter whatever is placed before you unless it causes you to sin. And you better bring your Bible to that conversation. Unless it causes you to sin, you are to obey your parents and everything. Probably the source of most disobedience stems back from our lack of loving authority in our lives. We naturally balk at authority. We balk at the idea of there's a God that's to command me what to do. That's our natural flesh to oppose that. But God's not only given us instruction, he has given us moms and dads that we are to obey in everything or in all things. And then he gives his second part because it pleases the Lord. Oh, that's, that's something I want to hear. Anything I can do that pleases the Lord, I want to do that. God has given your parents the call, the obligation to make a disciple of you. In Deuteronomy 6, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. They're called to teach you the word of God. They're, tar- they're called to instruct you on life. That is their ultimate job right now. These 18 years plus years, hopefully less years that they have with you, you're their number one job to see you come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. They want you to come to that. And a means that, that God tills up your soul for faith and repentance is a habit of obedience. A habit of obedience. So let's take our Bibles. Children, y'all ready? Teenagers, you ready? Let's look at a few places that are of importance. Parents, you turn along with us, rest of you. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 28 through 32. I'm just going to read it for us. A couple of places. I just want to read the text. And I want you to see what's listed in the midst of those that are disobedient. Romans 1. Verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. That's what we're going to see. Unrighteous acts that ought not be done. Let's see what they are. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. Listen, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree, That those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. I hope you're listening, child. I don't want to be in that list. I don't want my actions to be described and things that ought not be done in the list of murderers. The disobedient are listed to their parents. Turn to 2 Timothy 3. 
2 Timothy 3, looking at verses 1 through 5. Second Timothy 3, 1 through 5. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. People that I'm to avoid are those that are proudly, that celebrate their disobedience to their parents. Not in a Christian home. Has no place. Has no place. You don't celebrate your disobedience. You don't congratulate or boast in your disobedience to your parents. You obey them. You listen to them. You pay attention carefully to their instructions because ultimately they're longing for you to come to saving faith. And if you have, you're a child, a teenager that would say that you've confessed Jesus Christ, your obedience to your parents is important it might not only show a cold heart towards them but it's actually revealing a cold heart towards the lord in a christian home children are to obey their parents this is pleasing to him lastly paul as he's in the house describing a christian home he ends in this relationship between parents and their children, he addresses a Christian father. I'll stick with that, a Christian father. In verse 20, he said, parents. But he specifically says, father, in verse 21. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Men are to lead in this, but moms, you're not exempt from this. We're to teach, instruct, nurture our children not provoke. Similar words to provoke would be stir up, arouse, embitter, irritate, to cause someone to feel resentment. We're to nurture our children. We're to see them succeed in loving the Lord and doing well at the work that God's given them. That is an education. To be Members of a church, we long for these things. Paul writes in Ephesians 6, 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is where it's at. Marriage is hard, and so is parenting. A father's influence on a child is so profound A word of encouragement from a father can bring so much joy and comfort to a child, but a harsh, quick word can leave a lasting scar. As a father, that, 
that humbles me. Makes me want to be careful with my words. Careful with my actions. When you have little ones, you notice them picking up habits and you think, I didn't teach them that, but wait, I did teach them that. The fits, the rage, the selfishness. Some of these are seen and demonstrated. Fathers, we are to instruct them and direct them in the Lord. As fathers and mothers, we should be daily instilling them love and nourishment in the Word of God. This comes with patience. Just as Paul likened the marriage to Christ in the church, we could liken fathers to our heavenly fathers. Brother Rick spoke in his pastoral prayer of his patience that he has with us. Man, God is patient with us. I mean, I'd, I figuratively drop the milk and spill the milk all the time. But, de- but my heavenly father doesn't lose it on me. I often stumble. But he doesn't lash out at me. He's kind and forgiving and pulls me near and loves me. Fathers, mothers, we're to demonstrate that same care and love that our Heavenly Father has for us as children of God. There's three practical ways in which a father should lead and a mother should support in the family. That is in the gospel proclamation. It's very clear. We, we are very upfront here at Westwood Baptist Church that we believe the sole purpose of the parent is to make disciples of their children. We're not a drop-off church. We're not a church that you just drop your children off and we make disciples of them. We will foster uh, and, and encourage and supplement the work that's being done at home. That's our aim. For the spiritual orphans that are amongst us, we'll love and care for them. We'll, we'll adopt them into our church family. But for the most part, parents, you are to be faithful with the gospel message. And really two ways, speaking it. Declaring it, bringing it up, proclaiming the truth of the gospel. We're speaking about evangelism and the most uh, basic ways of fulfilling that obligation of sharing the gospel that happens within the home and that's been given to mothers and fathers. And then you also demonstrate the gospel. We've already highlighted that between the marriage, but you demonstrate the work of the gospel in your own life. You might have to come up and say, baby, I've really lost my cool. I'm sorry. Do you forgive daddy for saying those things? Demonstrating the work of the gospel in my life. Number two is a Christian education. Discipling your children. I mean, we long for our kids to leave our church family and and praise God when they stay, but when they go, we want them to be rocks. We want them to be steady. We don't want them to be be shifting by every wave of doctrine. We want them to be able to identify a healthy church, to, to, to stand firm in their convictions, to stand on the Word of God, and that happens by them being rooted and educated. This is why we, we, we long and hope that you use the catechisms. These are used so that we can... We can instill basic doctrinal values, truths about what we believe as the body of Christ. And then lastly, family worship. 
family worship. We, for years, have promoted uh, a simple book by Donald Whitney called Family Worship. The premise behind it, you don't even have to read it. Read the scripture, pray the scripture, sing. Faithfully, each and every day. Guard that time. Just as y'all will have a meal that evening, you should always have a spiritual meal, and the fathers are believed in that. Gather one another. We, we, as a family, we read the Old Testament text in the evening time out of our Bible reading. We pray, and we sing a hymn. We have in the back of our hymnal, uh, our Bible intake guides, the hymn of the month. We have hymnals if you want to take one of those home, but sing the word and still that. Prepare them for Sunday mornings. Demonstrate to your children that this hour right here is essential, and you can do that each week, each day with family worship. Fathers, do not provoke your children so that they do not lose heart. Become discouraged. But as he says in Ephesians, instruct them, direct them. This is hard. A survey of the Christian home that we have here, Paul walking through each relationship within the home, this is difficult. But this passage shouldn't beat us down. This passage wasn't meant to beat us down. What we got to remember in context, this is speaking about those that have been raised with Christ. Say, we got a lot of work, yeah. But the gospel is powerful enough to transform you and is transforming you in his likeness. So you say, I'm not the best husband, or I haven't been submitting like I've been called to as a wife, or I've I'm I'm been very disobedient, or I've been very harsh with my children. Praise God for Jesus Christ and the work of the cross. You're not getting to heaven by how you're parenting. You're getting to heaven by the blood and work of Jesus Christ. And it's reminding us every single day of the grace and love that we need found in the Father. So I hope that you're not discouraged, moms and dads, children, husbands and wives, but I hope you're challenged. You're in a, you're in a, a state where you want to act now. I want the gospel to transform not only my work life, I want it to transform my home. And it does. It does. But maybe he's calling you, or child, teenager, father or mother, grandparent. Maybe he's calling you to salvation. Because this doesn't naturally happen. This is only brought about, brought about by the work of Jesus Christ. And maybe he's calling you to faith and repentance in his son, Jesus Christ. And maybe you're in here and you think, I'm single. My kids are out of the house. What does this have to do with me? Well, we're in the text. We're going to the next passage. But you're a child of God. Or are you a child of God? And if you are, how is your obedience to your heavenly father? And if you have walked in our footsteps, if you're a parent with your children out, Please come along some of these families and encourage them. Come alongside some of these youth or these kids and, and, and encourage them in being obedient to their parents. Speak from a, a, a place of wisdom and insight into the lives of those that walk together. Because as we began, 
with the hymn, I think that we could all long for Christian homes to be made up of Westwood Baptist Church. We're in this together. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you so much for the saving power of your son, Jesus Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection. His life applied to the believer brings us near. And Father, it renews us. It changes our desires. It changes our thinking. It changes our actions. It changes how we respond to others. But Father, it changes the home. So Father, if, if others are, are like me, as, as, we've, as we've looked at this text, there might be conviction and a need to ask for forgiveness. So I pray that, Father, as we, we consider your word and are convicted, that we'd be faithful to repent and confess our sins to you. That we'd agree that maybe our homes are not uh, aligning with these texts. I pray that you would transform us and we trust in your power to restore. Father, there might be brokenness in the home. Brokenness that's beyond my knowledge, but you know. So I pray that you would restore that forgiveness and reconciliation amongst family members would be made. That we'd be a body that reflects the work of your son Jesus Christ, but we'd be made up of homes, Christian homes, with Christian wives that submit to their husbands, Christian husbands that lead, cherish, love, and care for their wives, children that love to obey their parents, and mainly rooted in their love for you, and that we'd have parents that love their children. Don't discourage them, but Father, lead them and direct them to your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the, the time that we've had this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.